0: Welcome to the Bunker Daily. I'm Andrew Harrison. It's going to be a busy week in politics. The Russia report is about to be released after sitting on a desk somewhere in Whitehall for 10 months because reasons. And it's happening the week that Parliament rises for recess, like handing in your resignation at five to six on a Friday. The release comes against a backdrop of increasingly fevered and sometimes comical activity the nomination and defeat of Chris Grayling as the chairman of the Intelligence and Security Committee, the government leaking one bit of Russian interference, which involved Jeremy Corbyn, that current political figure, and Russia being named as attempting to hack coronavirus research as well. Uh, It's all terribly confusing, but it's okay because Ian Dunt is here to help us make make sense of it all. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Uh, Yeah, I mean, it's Monday morning. It's early on Monday
1: morning. It's the very worst time of the week. But apart from that, fantastic.
0: That, that that's good to hear so look, look what's going on with the russia report i mean when when are we are we expecting it to come out at one minute to three on wednesday and it's going to be like yet yeah, now bye off to the beach now <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah well i mean that's up to the committee um and mm. i imagine that it will probably dominate sort of news coverage for the rest of the week once it comes out um there's a lot of eyes on it now there's also i i'm not convinced ultimately it's it, it This seems like a sort of, you know, a a trivial thing to say, but I think it will probably land somewhere between the two poles of expectation. So there's two schools, right? The, The first school is the sort of online clamor for this to be, you know, to prove everything, to prove that the whole of the Remain campaign, you know, would have won if it wasn't for this you know, that all of our elections would have been different if it wasn't for Russian interference. Now, that is obviously not going to happen. And and there's no reason for us to believe that any of those things are true. The other school is, you know, it's going to be completely boring. There'll be nothing to see here. It's all been drummed up over nothing. I don't think that's true either. And there probably will be, as long as you can decode the sort of, uniquely sort of stuffy and boring manner in which this stuff is always presented, when you look into the details of what it's describing, the chances are this is going to have some very juicy, very, very interesting material in it indeed.
0: Keeping it on ice throughout the election and at the actual enacting of Brexit itself, did seem to be a bit cheeky. I mean, it seemed to be a pretty brazen attempt to keep information away from people that might change their mind. So you're right; it's unlikely that we're going to, to go, "Aha! Get out of jail card." You know, <laughs> undo Brexit, like, like you know, like the end of like the end of every season of old Doctor Who, where they press the big red button and it would all be undone. Um, but you know. Um, you, is, was there any other rationale ever advanced for why this uh, why this report couldn't be released?
1: Yeah, I mean, well, the main one is that the the Tories are just up to their neck in Russian donations, right? I mean, like, yeah. and presumably this will figure in the report. I mean, one of the most pernicious roles is played by Lubov Chanukin, Chin, um, who is this woman she was, when she was married to a ex- former sort of um, Russian finance minister, Vladimir Chanukin, and she just... Pumps money into the Conservative Party for it for the dubious pleasures of you know playing tennis with Boris Johnson, and it's all done out in the open, you know, yeah. completely, completely transparent corruption essentially. I mean, so she gave in the first quarter of 2020 she gave three hundred and twenty five thousand pounds to the party in total over the years, and this goes back from before you know she used to play tennis also with David Cameron. You know what pleasures she has enjoyed. I mean, in total, she's donated... I would pay £325,000 not to play tennis with David Cameron or Boris Johnson. I'd pay more. I mean, I would pay more not to play tennis, full stop. But if I did have to play (laughs) tennis with someone, it fucking wouldn't be them. Like, so this is, you know, 1.6 million in total that she's just pumped into the party. There's no... you know, That is a shameful example of just opening yourself out to this degree of influence and corruption. So, and that's just... I mean, that's not, you know some kind of controversial. It's not investigative journalism. It's not rumors. It's just out in the open. That's the stuff we can see. So on that basis, yeah, the Tories have a massive problem with opening themselves out to the money of states, which do not have our best interests at heart. And they almost certainly don't want that kind of material getting
0: go to currency. Yes, I I've, I discovered this amazing uh, top secret in my amazing source, The Londoner's Diary in the Evening Standard, <laughs> is a photograph of people walking around with, with, with tennis rackets. Dominic Grieve said the government sat on the report out of spite because the uh, intelligence committee was chaired by Remainers and by him. Yeah, you wouldn't wouldn't
1: put it past them, right? I mean, given the kind of degree of tribalism and zealotry with which this government is conducted, that seems absolutely possible. But I do think probably it goes a bit further, which is that they thought it would damage them. They thought it would damage them during the election. They continue to think that it would damage them. And then we look at, you know, the way that Dominic Raab behaved, presumably under orders, as soon as it emerged that the report was going to come out. So he comes out, you alluded to this in your introduction, right? But then starts us talking about how, quote, Russian actors interfered in the 2019 general election uh, through the... And then the, and this is the quote, the part that I found interesting because it was so specific, through online amplification of illicitly acquired uh, government documents. What was interesting about that was he wasn't saying the documents coming out themselves was what he was discussing. He was talking about the amplification of those documents. And this is all alluding to... Do you remember that time? It seems a fucking million years ago now when uh, Jeremy Corbyn came out with those reports of a U.S. trade deal and, and yeah. the impact it would have on the NHS, which is actually probably one of his only really successful moments during the election. Um, this, that's what that relates to. And what's interesting about that is it really gives you an indication of just how inept and cynical the government's handling of this issue has been. Because rather than say, right, well, oh, let's wait for the report, or let's start talking seriously about what's going on with Russian interference in British politics. What Dominic Raab did was come out and say, this is the bit of Russian interference that um was in the aid of our opponents. So now I'm gonna clearly try to bring that up just to try and muddy the water. I mean, that gives you an indication of the kind of things that are in the report, but shows the manner in which which Russia has relied on throughout, that domestic tribalism will prevent anyone from having a sort of consistent position of opposing Russian interference in our politics, regardless of whose side they happen to be falling under for any particular moment. So Rob's Rob's decision to do that, or rather number 10's who ordered him, gives you an indication of why we are so vulnerable to this stuff, why we have failed to get a handle on it. So his case
0: is basically Russia's got Hootsuite. They... they, they... (laughs) um uh, it was interesting that the the russian ambassador's response wasn't a denial but to say i do not say any i'm not going to try and do the voice i do not see i do not see please, any please point- do the voice <laughs> it doesn't see any point in using the subject as meta of interference <laughs> i do not see any point in using the subject as ba- so basically not that we didn't do it but like well there was no point doing it this time because you're clearly fucking it up so completely yourselves chaps mm. um Strong implications. that yes, there are uh, subjects which are worth uh, worthy as as a matter of interference, and in fact that they do interfere. I mean, the kind of uh, nonchalance with which um, the Russians will 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 lie about things we know definitely, definitely happened. Um, you know, we've had this on on the on the bunker a couple of times in the, in the past week. Both uh, Marsha Gesson, uh, you know, actually Marsha Gesson and Anne Applebaum and Blue Carding talking about the power lie the lie that's intended to bully where where I will say something so blatantly untrue that the point is not to get you to believe what I've said, but that you dare to contradict me or that you're so taken mm-hmm. aback by the the sheer effrontery and, uh, you know, the sheer <laughs> insolence that you would utter this absolute mm-hmm. untruth. But it's, just, it's, it's basically the lie that bullies. And um, mm-hmm. There's yeah, the, you, you know that, you know, that classic old,
1: you know, how many words for snow do the Eskimos have? I mean, you do sort of get to the point where you just think, you know, how many words for lie do the Russians have? Because it's such a, an extraordinary um, diversity of mechanisms that are provided by the act of lying. So, I mean, some of them, I mean, very often when you look at the kind of communication that comes out from, you know, Russian embassies, Russian agencies, Russian government, it actually does operate almost exactly the same as internet trolls. This kind of like mocking, ironic uh, kind of narcissism that you get in order to discredit official sources of information, in order to provide their own narrative, in order to create the sense of distrust around power. Then you have... um, Certain lies that they've told at various points. I mean, the, the classic example is um the lies around. Do you remember um in the Ukraine when they shot down um Malaysian Airlines flight MH seventeen? Yes, and with w- with sort of with missiles that could only have been secured through Russia, and that was later corroborated by independent reports and by the official inquiry, but was was placently the case at exactly that moment anyway. And the Russian lies then, mostly done through their troll farms, weren't really just dis- i mean they, they were obviously creating a new narrative you know the narrative was you know a, russia, a story for russia to fall back on but more importantly than that they just really intended to muddy the water you know just to make it just to sow doubt and discord to provide ammunition to sort of russia, to the kremlins unpaid sort of pro russian figures in the west just to create that sense that what is demo- what is patently the case is actually questionable. So in all of these things, there's a different thing that is accomplished by lying, and very often multiple things that are that are accomplished by the lie.
0: Chris Grayling is only good at one thing, and that's ruining our podcasts by doing things after we finish recording, and we had to lo- lose a huge chunk of Romaniacs last week. Uh, as you went off on one about Chris Grayling uh, becoming the, uh, the head of the Intelligence Committee. And then he got totally, totally rolled by Julian Lewis. It's, I mean, it's a great way uh, to
1: lose a bit of a podcast, though. I
0: mean, it, it it pleased me intensely to lose it in such a glorious way. Well, maybe we'll use it on the, the Romaniacs box set that comes out in 20 years' time <laughs> or something like that. But what What does the Grayling episode mean? Because um, in putting this... I mean, the, 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 the widespread stupefaction that this guy could be thought competent for anything whatsoever. I think Nick Cohen described him in the Observer of the Weekend as a man who couldn't park a car in an empty field. <laughs> um, you know, i Clearly, the the, the 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 revulsion and amusement in the Conservative Party was was sufficient that uh, you know Julian Lewis was able to to get together support you know not just from opposition MPs but also uh, within the Conservative Party to, to to take over the chairmanship of the committee. What does it, what does this whole episode mean? Firstly, what does it say that they're still willing to trust Chris Grayling with anything more complicated than making the toast? I mean, only what we already know, right, which is, you know,
1: on the broader sense that, you know, there is no degree of failure that, you know, extremely mediocre white men can do in politics that means that they get thrown out. You know, you see Nick Timothy will be sat there with his column, you know, advising people on how to win elections, despite having, you know, actually run an election and catastrophically fucked it up. Chris Grayling can destroy every department and every project that he has ever turned his hand to, um, and yet still get positions. I mean, by the way, he's a great enemy to have. Like, I mean, you know, I've sat there for years now watching him in the Ministry of Justice. I've watched him try to tackle sort of prison reform. I've watched him try to tackle um, reform of judicial review, um, no-deal Brexit. And in each case, he's a great guy to have on the other side because he will fuck himself so hard that there's really very little that you need to do in order to try and hold them to account. On judicial review, he he literally accidentally argued against his own position in the commons, simultaneously (laughs) misleading the commons and provide, because in individual court cases, they can take a line from what the minister is saying, what the intention of the law is, thereby undoing his own project when it came into fruition in real time. I mean, he is fantastically inept and a great enemy to have. You know, if only all of our enemies could be quite as hopeless as he was. Um, the second one then is more specific, which is how does this government operate? And this is, this is something that you learn a lot from, from ideologues in any part of the political spectrum. It happens to be that the ideologues that we've got in charge are on the right. And that's that because they're ideologues and because they prioritize loyalty um, and ideological similarity over competence. When you look at, so Karl Popper, you know, influential sort of liberal and, and philosopher of science, would, would say like one of the things that open societies do well is not so much, oh, isn't it wonderful how diverse they are? It's that they're more efficient. Because they put people that are open to falsification in positions where they can challenge things. When things turn out to be wrong, they undo them. That is precisely the opposite of what happens in the kind of society that we're living in now, where you get denoted according to your strength of conviction in what is essentially an article of faith. And that's the kind of storyline that ends you up putting you know, Chris Grayling in charge of the Intelligence Committee, a sentence that if you ever arrive to it, you must look at the sentence and think, well, we fucked up here. Something's gone terribly wrong if this is the outcome that we've created.
0: Because remember that around the time of the election, um, we were crowing as well, well, at least I'll never see Chris Grayling again. <laughs> Goodbye, Chris Grayling. And he's fucking back, back. What what do we know about Julian Lewis? Well he's ERG, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, he's not, you know,
1: this this guy is he's not if you sat down with him in the pub, you would not find much that you would agree on. Um but there are advantages, right? Like the first um yeah, so yeah, by the way, on Brexit, incredibly sort of pro Brexit and blah, 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 and and wrong on Many, many other matters in addition to that. However, he is capable of structured thought, so that alone puts him above Chris Grayling. He um, <laughs> has an independent mindset, um, and that does matter. You know, people can disagree with you, but if they're independent-minded, especially with a control freak government like this, um, that still suggests that you know they're of a higher fire, uh, a far higher caliber than the person who was there before. Um, he's also really interested in, uh, you know, he has much more experience on security, on intelligence, much more capable of assessing the information that he's given there. And he's interested specifically on these sorts of issues around Russia. And at the moment, what you, one of the things you need are people who are willing to stand up to that degree of intrusion into our politics because the government aren't willing to do it. And very, very many other people in senior positions in British politics have proved that they're not able to do it
0: either. As a Brexiter fanboy. Well, as a Brexit a prime mover, actually. How's he gonna feel that he's got a report in his hands that 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 is you know, it's gonna taint his favourite project, at the very least. It's not gonna undo it, as you said earlier. This is not a reset button.
1: Yeah, I mean I don't even But it's
0: gonna put sticky fingers all over the project. Yeah,
1: I just don't I mean I just
0: I don't think it's too much to ask of people.
1: And I really do mean, when I, I'm not doing this in this lazy both sides way, but I really do mean this for basically whatever your politics, you really do have to sign up to this, that regardless of whether you are being advantaged or disadvantaged by any specific act of interference in your country's politics, it is nevertheless intolerable that they are doing it. And we have seen over and over people just fail to make that moral leap. And I mean, they, and I'm afraid, you know, it is happening on all sides, but it, uh, most perniciously, it's happening on the Brexit side. So if you look at, I mean, there's an article in the Mail from yesterday, I think, which is just it, like talking about the Russia report, which is just like a fucking, like a, a stereotype of why this stuff can continue. Because it talks about the Russia report. It says, oh, there might be stuff around, you know, interference during the referendum, and then within the first sort of, I think it's on par four, the fourth paragraph, it says, you know, well, actually, it looks like they're trying to sabotage Brexit. They have a quote from Aaron Banks, because, of course, what a crucial person to speak to, saying this is Remainers not being able to accept the result, immediately followed by a quote from Andrew Bridgen, you know, that necklace wonder going on about exactly the same thing, you know, Remainers won't accept defeat. And he's think, like, just if you could just put your little toys away for one moment and concentrate on the fact that you are being... Manipulated to say precisely these sorts of things, and to act in this way so that we do not deal with the fact that our national security and our internal democracy is currently under threat by the manner in which an, an essentially an opponent foreign power is deciding to interfere with us. So it's not too much, you know, if he's capable of that, and I do believe that he is capable of that, that would not make him some kind of godlike impartial figure. That would make him the kind of person that we used to think was standard in British politics, that yes, you have the disputes, but you are capable of seeing that interference by a foreign power is a more severe, more pernicious thing than anything that your domestic opponents might do. That mail article,
0: I mean, the, the Sunday Express went with don't try to smear Brexit. I mean, are we looking at possibly, you know, much as the Brexit has decided to tr- attempt to take down the entire Electoral Commission and smear it as an nest of Remainers, are they going to try to devalue the entire Russia report just because it's uh, it does not kind of chime with their preferences? Is, is this, Are we, are we going to see this one get mullered?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's definitely going to be some figures who try to do that. Some figures hopefully will rise above that. It's worth remembering, right, that... The idea that people behave this way is intrinsic to the entire Russian project, to the entire disinformation campaign. Like you look at, you know, what we see, what we remember, the the Americans have done a much better job, despite everything, of looking at Russian interference in their society than we have done in ours. Um, And when you look at the report into interference in the 2016 general election, um, we only talk about the bit that was for Trump. Um, but actually, an awful lot of the material that, that Russia put out there was not for conservative voters at all. I mean, an awful lot of it was for anti-Trump voters. So they would sort of take you take identity segments, you know, usually on Facebook, but you can do it, you know, so sort of through Instagram or through Twitter. Um, and they would look at people interested in black politics, they would look at people interested in Latino politics, they'll look at people interested in gay politics, and their their typical approach with those groups. Was to try to discourage them from voting, and that with, rather than with conservative groups, you know, where they would try to encourage them to go out and vote to support Trump. Now, you would get plenty of instances. I mean, there was one protest outside of a mosque where there were two different groups that were encouraged to go: one of them to oppose the mosque, one of them to support the mosque. Now, and those two protests ended up, you know, getting into sort of scuffles and shouts and, and, and altercation. Both of those protests were arranged were, were organized by Russia within the, as far as we understand it, within the same office. There was plenty of other times where groups that were opposed to each other were being being operated and encouraged from the same actual computer. So all of this is mm. there is an assumption that the Express will come up with that headline. There is an assumption that the mail will come up with the kind of material that it did over the weekend of saying, you know, this is all to remain a plot, because it is on the basis of pre-existing divisions. And the stoking up of exacerbated and new divisions that Russian foreign policy
0: in this area operates in the first place. Just finally on the process of the Russia report, it's, I mean, Parliament rises on Wednesday. Is Parliament going to have any time to debate this? Can anything meaningful, meaningful come of it?
1: I mean, I, I imagine that there will be some time to do so. That there, there may not be realistically, um, but even if I mean there isn't, I mean, you can always debate it later. I, I have to say, I. I don't think we're in an advanced enough stage with actually having a realistic process over these issues that the parliamentary debate matters as much as it should. I mean, the main thing needs to be the public debate. And that ultimately, because of the timetables you alluded to, is is pretty much where we are. Because ultimately, you do have a government with a big majority. You do have a government which doesn't want to address this stuff. The only thing I suppose that makes me a bit more positive on that front is that Tory MPs' current bullishness over China might hopefully also extend towards Russia to a to a beefier, more confident sense of, hang on a minute, we're getting beaten around quite a lot and we, and we seem to have had a structure in place in our foreign policy where we just take it. And that's true, by the way, that's true with Russia too. I mean, it was in 20, 2006 that we had the Litvinenko attack. um It was in, you know, and then 2018 we had the Skripal attack. I mean, neither of those properly Uh, sort of properly grappled with really with stern enough action plenty of sort of actions that took place in between those two events which again didn't have the kind of severity in the British response that we might have expected. It's possible now that you know Tory MPs who are toughening up on China will go, look, structurally, we just haven't been confident enough. We haven't been stern enough. We haven't been had an appropriate defensive posture when it comes to interference by countries like China, countries like Russia. And it's a bit about time that changed. But at the moment, that's still early days for that kind of growing, growing confidence in the parliamentary party. So regardless of whether it falls within the timetable or not, I expect a lot of the really meaty public debate on this and any kind of significant changes that can happen to happen through the general social debate rather than what's going on in Westminster.
0: So actually, it's good that Parliament's not around, because otherwise you'd have a telly full of people making boilerplate speeches from the benches. And now, because they won't be there, it can be talked about properly maybe, on maybe. podcasts. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. It's a boon for us. <laughs> for least. Absolutely. Well, the the Russia Report is definitely going to be part of this week's podcasting fund, both on the bunker and on the maniacs. And you're on both of them, so you're going oh. kind to of have to like do a lot of reading around here. <laughs> there we go get, get pushing up on it <laughs> ian thank you for thank you for uh talking to me uh and i'll we'll, we'll see you in the middle of the week listeners remember there's a new bunker daily on mondays tuesdays thursdays and fridays the main panel podcast goes out on wednesdays and you can get it early and without adverts plus smart bunker merchandise when you back us on patreon the crowdfunding platform search patreon bunker podcast to find out how you can do that thanks for listening ian thanks for talking to me we'll see you soon cheers then bye bye The
1: Bunker Daily was produced and presented by Andrew Harrison. The assistant producer was Jacob Archbold, and audio production was by me, Alex Reese. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker Daily is a Podmasters production.